0: Inside Florida politics, powered by Gannett. President Biden tours Southwest Florida communities damaged by Hurricane Ian. Governor Ron DeSantis gets heat for delayed Ian evacuations, and voting in heavily Republican communities gets disrupted by the hurricane. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald-Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Fins. But first. That music means it's time for some numbers. Gentlemen, I hope you're all uh, ready and recovered from uh, a, a tough week after uh, Ian here. John, you got a number for us? Yeah, Zach, my number is I'm, I'm blowing in here with a 10,000. All right. How about you,
1: Antonio? Yeah, Zach, I'm coming in higher with 2 million.
0: All right. Well, I was going to go with the number of days I've been without power, but my power came back on Tuesday and my TV and Internet came back on last night. So I'm pretty much whole at this point, which is more than a lot of people can say. So instead, my number is 4,231, which I'm hoping that's the number of days until the next hurricane. But it also is a very critical number for homeowners right now. Well, President Joe Biden took a helicopter ride over coastal communities ravaged by Ian, received a briefing on recovery efforts, and met with people impacted by the storm Wednesday. And he was joined by Governor Ron DeSantis, a frequent critic of the president. The two made nice, though, Wednesday. Antonio, you'd expect that a pair of political rivals could put that aside during a tragedy, but we're not really living in normal political times. What are your thoughts on the Biden-DeSantis detente during Ian's uh, aftermath here.
1: Yeah, Zach, you know, we, we did see a bipartisan show yesterday on Wednesday over at the, the Gulf Coast, but, you know, that wasn't surprising. If you recall, Biden and DeSantis also put on a united front in South Florida a little more than a year ago. That was after that horrific building collapse in Surfside when the president and government, governor came together to assure folks that they would work together to assist people after that terrible tragedy. And you know what the truth is they did. Then, of course, both men eventually retreated to their blue and red corners to whip up their bases into a a fight night frenzy for this year's midterms. But in Southwest Florida, we saw both men again put partisanship aside with DeSantis acknowledging and thanking the White House for being responsive. And Biden saying that DeSantis, you know, had done a good job and and that they were working glove in hand rather than gloves off. Now, of course, each had their own partisan moment on, on Wednesday. Uh, Biden was caught on a hot mic dropping an F-bomb, saying something to the effect that no one messes with a Biden. And DeSantis went off on that strange and bizarre rant about a national regime media that wanted the storm to hit Tampa so Florida would look bad. Uh, You know, all that being said, the momentary bipartisanship suits both men's political purposes. For Biden, look, this hurricane is an opportunity for the president to show Americans that the federal government disaster response works, that there's a role for the federal government, that it can be helpful. And that would be no small feat at a time when half the country is suspicious of federal law enforcement in the wake of the FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago, if not convinced of those odd and strange deep state conspiracies. At the same time, DeSantis needs another round of Biden bucks. The truth is that while the governor has been persecuting Disney and banning textbooks in classrooms and and going after corporate diversity training programs, Florida's property insurance market has crashed. It doesn't seem possible for the state's private and public insurance safety net to absorb Ian's 25 billion to $40 billion in damages. And that one folks, that one is on DeSantis, the GOP cabinet members and the GOP legislature that did not fully address this problem when they had month and month and month of warnings. Uh, So now a federal bailout of the state to some degree it looks like it's going to be necessary. And Biden is the one that can get it done. So, yes, the governor loves to rail against congressional spending and Biden inflation. But he sure loves those greenbacks from Washington. As Ronald Reagan famously said, there he goes again.
0: And Antonio, you mentioned that uh, uh, Biden said that DeSantis has done a good job. I mean, he's it's more than just like they're not uh, going after each other or they're putting their hostilities aside uh, during this period. You have Biden actually uh, praising DeSantis, which is pretty interesting. (laughs) I mean, um, I'm sure Charlie Chris
1: loved hearing that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, Chris had already sort of ventured into sort of questioning DeSantis's storm response. I mean, this kind of puts a lid on that a little bit, doesn't it? When the president is saying that DeSantis has done a good job,
1: it, it does. And you know, that that wasn't you know. But then again, again, I, I think we've been saying this and noting this on this podcast for the better part of almost a year that, you know, it doesn't seem that the uh, the. The National Democratic Party and, and the White House is that concerned about winning these big time races in Florida. You know, they really have not done a, a lot to help out the you know, Democratic candidates in the state. Remember earlier this year when gasoline prices are surging and then there was that overture to Venezuela to buy Venezuelan oil to bring, you know, to so bring down prices. And, you know, even the congressional Democrats in South Florida had a meltdown over that because obviously it was going to hurt their election chances, given the fact that, you know, the, the there's so many conservative Hispanics and and generally Hispanics who really look at the Maduro regime in Venezuela as a dictatorship and an ally of the, you know, the of the, the post Castro Cuban communist regime in Cuba. So, it, it, I don't think that you know, I mean, I. I Look, the, the president's kind of in a tight spot in this case. You know, he, he's got to come down. He's got to be bipartisan. You can't get into partisan politics. That doesn't look good on anybody.
0: You would hope that he would call it as he sees it and not just say things that are right. just to help his political allies. I mean, if he feels like DeSantis has done a good job, then he, he should say that, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, if, if, you if, right. you <laughs> give credit where credit is due. And the fact of the matter is, if the governor governor's response has been, you know, it's been you know that that has, it, he's acted correctly. He did that they've called for the disaster declaration when they need to, and you know that they have tr- they have worked hand in hand. Look, and the fact of the matter is that for many going back for a long time, decades, Florida's FEMA response when it comes to hurricanes, Florida and, and the disaster response, Florida has been a model. I mean, it, we 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 know how to do this. <laughs> Lord knows we've been through enough hurricanes. We we know how to do this. So it it's not shocking either. That the governor and the disaster response in florida would do a good job i mean we've got plenty of experience that playbook has been written and rewritten and edited and and basically perfected so that's not a shocker either it just happens at a month before the a, a gubernatorial election where polls are showing that you're really struggling and that doesn't really help
0: yeah and you know it, you're right i mean uh, past governors have have largely been praised for their storm response as well i'm thinking of uh, Governor Jeb Bush, who who got a lot of kudos for uh, the work that he did after the devastating 2004 and 2005 storm seasons, uh, Rick Scott was really out in front during Irma in 2007. 2007- Dean, he's gotten a little bit of criticism about how that evacuation was handled. That ended up turning into a pretty big logjam, and and uh, um, even DeSantis and the current emergency uh, management director in Florida yeah. have suggested that there was an over evacuation.
1: Yeah, and we should note here: we should note it's really important that the number of deaths here. Uh, this is an astonishing number, and as we learn more about this, and you know, maybe the the, the way that the the warnings and the evacuations were handled, maybe that was not textbook. So I, I think, you know, and that's what, one of the things that in fairness to Charlie Chris, that that's what he was criticizing the Santas on. Yeah. So that, 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 that is an open question and we may learn more. And, you know, in the next couple of weeks, we may be thinking of this differently, but right now I think, you know, you call it, like you said, you call it like you see it. And, and overall the response to the storm once it hit has been fairly smooth.
0: Well, let's talk about what Antonio just mentioned, John, because when Biden was praising DeSantis, he was really praising the recovery effort, the aftermath of the storm and the amount of resources that have been surged in and the effort to get people rescued and to get power back on and all that stuff was what Biden was asked about and what he was really referring to. The, what happened before the storm is a different matter. And there has been some criticism of DeSantis over that about whether uh, people in Lee County, Uh, got the word to evacuate uh, quickly enough. Um, You know, that decision is handled at the local level, but the governor obviously has a big platform uh, as well. So uh, as Antonio mentioned, there have been an incredible amount of deaths here. We really, and the death toll keeps mounting. It already has surpassed Hurricane Andrew, it seems like this evacuation question is is pretty important, isn't it?
2: Oh yeah, it, it is a lingering question right now in the aftermath of a storm. I mean, Lee County where most of the deaths are didn't order evacuations of barrier islands and other low lying areas until Tuesday morning. That was just a day before the hurricane hit. Now, counties to the north, which had been seen as the target initially first Tampa Bay and then Sarasota County they had called for the evacuations to begin on Monday. Uh, and, and in a storm, hours obviously can mean a difference. Now, you know, the decision to issue an evacuation order. That that falls on the county, not the state. And that has been repeated several times now by the state's emergency management director, Kevin Guthrie, but, but he says he's not going to second guess uh, Lee County officials. Now, Governor Ron DeSantis also has refrained from any criticism saying that Lee County officials correctly followed the storm data. Uh, But analysis that we've done shows that uh, there was a significant chance of major storm surge across southwest Florida, even if the storm did not directly hit the community.
0: If you you looked at this cone of uncertainty that was put out by the National Hurricane Center, yes, you know, the center of the cone where where they think the center of the storm might go was never um, on Fort Myers until uh, Tuesday, I believe it was. But. The, the Lee County was always within the cone of uncertainty. And, you know, it, it was on the south uh, side of, of that uh, storm. So there's a big potential for storm surge being pushed up from the beginning, right?
2: Yeah. And, and And that decision to wait overnight to basically gauge Hurricane Ian's path also apparently clashed with the county's own planning protocols for ordering residents out even when a minimal risk of serious storm surge could accompany uh, an approaching storm so some experts are saying that people you know including government leaders uh, uh, tend to pay more attention to the risk of wind speed and location than the uh, the possibility of epic storm surge like we saw with hurricane ian and that it's it, there are also 66% of all deaths from hurricanes in the last 50 years in the United States have been from storm surge, uh, you know, but you know I think I think still hovering over that whole uh, evacuation move was that as we mentioned earlier on the show uh, five years ago uh, then Governor Rick Scott remember we remember he had urged people to heed local evacuation orders before Hurricane Irma and that led to one of the largest evacuations in United States history. Uh, you had more than 6 million people ordered to evacuate the Florida Keys and Southwest Florida ahead of Hurricane Irma as it approached the state in 2017. And that led to massive traffic tie-ups Uh, a shortage of gasoline and a lack of available hotels for those racing to leave and john this is
0: something that desantis and the state's emergency management director mentioned multiple times in their news conferences before ian hit about um this uh what 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 was viewed as an over evacuation during irma they said at least two million people were ordered to evacuate that maybe shouldn't have been this seemed to be really weighing on their mind i mean they seemed reluctant to push uh, yeah. evacuations if they weren't needed
2: yeah yeah they they didn't seem to want to step in and do what like rick scott did in in 2017 we all remember he was basically saying get out you know if you can find a way out get out now you know and um the the the, the at the state level they were not trying to uh you know inflame in that that evacuation order uh so in the case of um uh, of Lee County, which, uh, paused in its, uh, in its efforts to order evacuations, they didn't do it. And, uh, now, you know, you're left wondering had many of those people been able to get away from Fort Myers beach, Sanibel Island, uh, some of the you know surrounding areas could, could the uh, outcome of this be different. But, you know, I think uh, again, hanging over this was, uh, the, the effect of hurricane Irma in, uh, 17 uh that it did cause u- ultimately massive devastation in the middle keys but the wholesale evacuation was questioned by many in hindsight and uh at, at this point i'm wondering did that figure into the minds of lee county officials what, you know maybe once the destruction in that county begins to clear we can start drilling into some of the reasoning but the, the the timing of the order is going to remain a question of this storm.
0: And John, I mean, there's people that are going to stay no matter how loud you scream for them to leave. I mean, some people just have a very hard time evacuating, whether financial reasons or physical limitations that they have. But obviously, if you if you give them more time, then more people. Are likely to evacuate. You you have done some reporting and looked at some of the deaths from the people who stayed, and it's some uh, some pretty grim, uh, harrowing stuff here. What 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 was uh, the leading cause of? death that you saw
2: it's looking like drowning in one form or another and in in some of these cases i mean it was really uh th- th- this is based on medical examiners reports of the uh the death toll and uh the the medical examiners are, are not known for their narratives but uh they they summarize each death in a very re- very uh short uh you know sparely written uh summary in in cases you know so somebody was Stuck in a window, trying to get out of their house. Another person wow. killed killed by a, you know, a collapsing uh, pool shelter. You know, a pool, a, a screened uh, pool uh, overhang, um, mm. things like that. You know, where where people just uh, stepped out, or they were trying to get out, um, but uh, at the wrong time. Uh, and then flooding uh, does seem to be generally the the theme of uh, maybe the majority of deaths where, you know, bodies were found in water in one form or another. And uh, that was a, a sign that those people should not have stayed.
0: Really shows the power of these floodwaters. And uh, it sounds like people were overcome really quickly. A lot of tragedies here. Well, Ian uh, made landfall exactly. St- six weeks before the November 8th election, throwing the election process into turmoil in a number of counties. Mail ballots went out this week, but many of them will be returned because the homes are either destroyed or unlivable, or they just don't have a mailbox anymore. Meanwhile, polling locations have been destroyed and poll workers have been displaced. All of the counties that were impacted are heavily Republican and serve as a critical source of votes for statewide GOP candidates, meaning the storm could impact the reelection bids of uh, Governor DeSantis and U.S. Senator Marco Rubio. John, the big question right now is how far DeSantis will go to loosen voting restrictions to help these counties after really spending two years um, tightening voting
2: rules. Yeah, you're right. Uh, DeSantis and the Republican legislature have spent a lot of time in the last two years taking steps in what they say is an effort to reduce the risk of voter fraud. Uh, you know, and all of it comes in the wake of former President Trump's unsubstantiated claims that voter fraud cost him the 2020 election. So, you know, at this point, we all know Republicans tend to do things they think will appease Trump. But uh, now that Southwest Florida, a huge Republican voting area, has been so damaged by Hurricane Ian, there's a renewed focus on trying to make it easier for people to vote, which uh, in the Republican view of things, I guess, uh, may increase the risk of fraud. Um, Now, Zach, you you wrote about some of the changes being considered, um, among them uh, super voting sites to make up for precincts that are now impossible to open. Uh, This was an approach used following Hurricane Michael in 2018 up in the panhandle. So Florida has a a bit of recent history with these kind of uh, emergency voting measures. But uh, that that is likely to require even more than uh, what was put in place for Michael right now, though, uh, because we're dealing with such a large population area uh, it, th- that's been affected by storm damage in one way or another. But but whatever is done to allow people to cast their votes, uh, it, it's at least going to stand in a little bit of stark relief to the uh, themes that we've seen recently in Tallahassee and the uh, the tough measures that have been enacted since. Uh, well, in in 2021 and uh, then again earlier this year. Uh, Remember those changes included uh, stricter scrutiny by elections supervisors of ballot drop boxes and new limitations on where those drop boxes can be placed. You have a ban on people dropping off more than two mail ballots other than their own unless they belong to immediate family members. And uh, then there's enhanced identity requirements for people requesting a mail ballot. Now, all those things seem to uh, be potential problems right now for people that have been displaced um, across southwest Florida, which is very red and very Republican. Now, you know, now, now it looks like there's a feeling within the DeSantis administration that you should cut people more slack when it comes to voting. Um, you know, and maybe that that thinking comes especially if they're likely to vote for you.
0: And, you know, I, I was able to get an interview with uh, Cord Byrd, who's the secretary of state in Florida and uh, the state's chief elections officer. And he told me they are using Hurricane Michael and the executive order on voting that was issued after hurricane michael hit the panhandle in 2018 as sort of their template going forward which would mean that they'd have these super voting centers where um, instead of everybody having to vote in a neighborhood polling place which many of those were destroyed or uh, unusable in lee county instead you'd have 12 super voting centers where uh, they would open for early voting and they would stay open all the way uh, through election day and anybody in the county could vote at any of these 12 centers Um, And that would also give them an extra three days of early voting. So it it looks like they're probably going to move forward with that. That was just my sense from Cord Bird, although he he hasn't made any final determination and he'd have to, you know, obviously consult with the governor on that. One thing that um, Lee County supervisor told me is that he's also asking that they waive the signature requirement to – send your absentee ballot to another address that's not on file with the elections office that you have to sign that uh, you have to sign a piece of paper currently to get your ballot sent somewhere else that's something That's a little bit different than Hurricane Michael, where all the absentee ballots were already sent out before the storm and had been delivered to people. So they had them um, already. Now, a lot of people aren't going to be are They're mailing these ballots out, but a lot of people aren't going to get them because they, uh, you know, they're they're they can't get mail at their home or they've they've gone somewhere else. Um, So they're going to have to get that ballot forwarded to another address or or, uh, a new ballot sent to another address. Um, and and that does cut directly against the grain of what the Republican legislature has been doing in recent years, which is tightening um, uh, the restrictions on absentee ballots. And it was interesting; Cord uh, Byrd was a little bit he he was he was kind of a little bit hesitant to to endorse that. And uh, you know he said that election security is paramount, and and so. Um, I don't know if he, you know, is is feeling that maybe he'll get some heat if he does that from some of the, the Trump camp or if uh, maybe there's a view that maybe that is some hypocrisy because of how they've been um, tightening rules for absentee ballots. I mean, obviously, this is a major disaster. So you can make an argument that, um, you know, this is uh, uh, important flexibility for for people. But uh, just uh, some interesting obvers- observations from Trump talking to uh, the Secretary of State about that. Well, we'll move on to some numbers here. Uh, Antonio, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah,
1: gentlemen, I have 2 million, and that is the number of par- barrels of oil per day that OPEC announced on Wednesday that they would be cutting daily production by. Now, uh, that, that's the 2 million barrels per day is equal to 2% of the global supply. So it is a fairly you know, significant cut. And it's going to basically, you know, lead to higher oil prices. But there's, you know, there's a geopolitical aspect to this and, and a local impact. And first, the geopolitics of this speculated that the Saudis were colluding with Russia to drive prices higher and uh, basically, you know, have an impact drive prices higher in the West, especially ahead of the U.S. election. And as Russia is struggling in with its war in Ukraine. Uh, the white house said president joe biden would continue to assess whether to release even more oil from uh strategic oil reserves to sort of counter this production cut and try to mitigate price increases in the u.s and the white house issued a statement saying the president was disappointed by the short-sighted decision by opec you know and basically uh you know as, as the global economy is dealing with the continued negative impact of the russian invasion of ukraine Then of course, locally in Florida, the price hike may well wipe out much of the relief that at least some of the relief that drivers have been seeing at the pump in the past few months. Uh, The state average price for a gallon of regular gasoline was $3.26 per gallon to start this week and that had been the lowest price since January. The state average had declined a total of $1.50 per gallon since prices reached their peak of $4.89 a gallon in mid June. In addition, uh, the OPEC fuel price increase in some ways, it's going to be kind of a double whammy here in Florida because, of course, uh, next this, the impact will be next month because, of course, Florida has uh, suspended the 25.3 cent per gallon fuel tax uh, for the month of October. So, of course, as the OPEC production cut, the price increase, it's flowing into our fuel network. Basically, it, within a month, it's going to go up another 25 cents once this gasoline tax is restored. Um, And and of course, this would seem to be more bad news for Democrats in competitive races on this year's ballot, as voter surveys and polls have consistently shown that they tend to the voters tend to blame Democrats more for inflation and issues with the economy. So, again, as we were talking about earlier, prospects that seemed to be much better for Democrats across the country and in Florida about a month ago, you know, as they were able to galvanize a number of issues like abortion and try to get back into you know, real competitive races, and we've seen some of that sort of fizzle. This is another piece of not good news for them.
0: Yeah, and it also makes the hurricane recovery effort more costly. Here, I know I was using a lot of gas for my my generator, but before I got my power back, and I know a lot of people down south are on generators, and they're going to need a you know a lot of gas uh, for the generators to to get uh, everything. Uh, back in shape um, with uh, you know some of these communities that are uh, impacted by the storm surge. So uh, it has an impact on that as well. John, you wanna tell us about your number?
2: Yeah, Zach, I have 10,000 as in $10,000. And that's the amount of money that the nation's largest Latino civil rights organization has put up as a reward for locating and prosecuting Perla Huerta. The Tampa woman who reportedly helped guide those 48 Venezuelan migrants, those uh, asylum seekers, out of San Antonio, Texas, to Martha's Vineyard last month on uh, Governor Ron DeSantis's orders. Uh, We all remember that uh, episode and uh, the flights that DeSantis ordered to go there to pick them up. Now, the reward offered by LULAC, that's the uh, League of United Latin American Citizens, may be, you know, something of a stunt. Uh, just as DeSantis' stunt was using Florida taxpayer dollars to transport those migrants to Massachusetts to draw attention, well, in this order, to himself and to President Biden's uh, troubled border policies. But the uh, $10,000 reward really does underscore Lulak's outrage with this. Uh, They call Huerta a migrant political predator. And it's part of a cascade of criticism that DeSantis drew over what certainly appears to be a heartless move by the governor to enlist Huerta, who recruited those migrants in Texas to go to Massachusetts with the promise of jobs and housing. Now now Huerta hasn't surfaced, but she's been identified by the migrants and their initial, basically as their initial contact. And media reports have since identified her as a Tampa resident with a background as a military combat medic who also has worked in counterintelligence. Uh, As we've been mentioning, uh, Hurricane Ian's devastation has swept aside so much in Florida over the last couple of weeks, including talk of this migrants to Martha's Vineyard story, which commanded global attention earlier in September. But uh, there continue to be calls for an investigation by the uh, Justice Department or whether uh, federal laws were broken by the governor and those he directed to Texas. Um, there's also been a lawsuit filed by a Democratic state senator over the use of state money. So, you know, we're going to hear more about this in coming weeks. But meanwhile, there's a ten thousand dollars out there for anyone who can produce Perla Huerta.
0: All right. One stunt begets another. My number is four thousand two hundred and thirty-one. That's not the annual cost of property insurance for the average Florida homeowner. That's about uh, three hundred and fifty-three dollars a month. Florida's property insurance rates are triple the national average, and they've doubled just since DeSantis took office. When the average rate in Florida was one thousand nine hundred and sixty. The state has been experiencing a major meltdown in the property insurance market, and there's big concerns that Hurricane Ian could be the death blow for this industry, forcing many insurers to go bankrupt and also forcing hundreds of thousands of people into state-run citizens' property insurance and maybe even forcing a federal bailout, as um, Antonio said. I mean, this is going to be... Uh, c- could be a pretty epic calamity here. Florida lawmakers tried to address some of the industry's problems during a special legislative session in May, but many experts believe they didn't do enough. And now it may be too late to stabilize an industry that's in free fall. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Courtney, And thanks to all of you for listening. I hope you're all safe from the storm. We're out of here.